are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Marsupials are an infraclass of mammals characterized by giving birth to relatively underdeveloped young. Close to 70% of the 334 extant species occur in Australia, New Zealand, and nearby islands, with the remaining 100 found in the Americas, primarily South America, but with 13 in Central America, and one in North America, north of Mexico. The relationships between the three extant divisions of mammals, monotremes, marsupials, and placential mammals, was long a matter of debate among taxonomists. Most morphological evidence comparing traits such as number and arrangement of teeth and structure of the reproductive and waste elimination systems favors a closely evolutionary relationship between marsupials and placential mammals than either with the monotremes. Monotremes, as you recall, are egg-laying mammals. Most genetic and molecular evidence also supports grouping the marsupials and placental mammals in a single clade, subclass Theria. Marsupials and placental mammals split from the monotremes during the Cretaceous period. In the absence of soft tissues, 
such as the pouse, pouch, and reproductive systems. Fossil marsupials can be distinguished from the placentials by the form of their teeth. Primitive marsupials possess four pairs of molar teeth in each jaw, whereas placential mammals never have more than three pairs. Using this criterion, the earliest known marsupials is Sinodelphus salia, which lived in China around 125 million years ago. It makes it almost contemporary to the earliest Eutherian fossils, which have been found in the same area. The oldest metatherian fossils, metatheria being a larger clade that groups marsupials with some of the extinct relatives, are found in present-day China. And there are a few species of marsupials presently living in Indonesia as far west as Sulawesi, which is sometimes considered to be an Asian economic zone. However, these modern marsupials appear to have reached the island relatively recently via Australia. About a hundred million years ago, the supercontinent Pangaea was in the process of splitting into the northern continent Laurasia and the southern continent Gondwana with what would become China and Australia already separated by the Tethys Ocean. Marsupials spread westward into modern North America, which was still attached to Eurasia at that time, and then to South America, which was connected to North America until around 65 million years ago. Laurasian marsupials eventually died off, possibly due to competition from placental mammals for their ecological niches. In South America, the possums retained a strong presence and the tertiary saw the evolution of shrew possums and metatherian predators such as the borahathenids and the saber-toothed Psychosalmosilus. South American niches for mammalian carnivores were dominated by these marsupial and sparasodont metherians. While placental predators were absent, the metatherians did have to contend with avian and terrestrial crocodile competition. South America and Antarctica remained connected until about 35 million years ago, as shown by the unique fossils found there. North and South America remained disjointed until about 3 million years ago, when the Isthmus of Panama formed. This led to the Great American Interchange. Competition from placental mammals from the north drove sparasodonts to extinction, while 
Diddlethith morphs, or possums, invaded Central America, with the Virginia possum reaching as far north as Canada. Marsupials reached Australia via Antarctica about 50 million years ago, shortly after Australia had split off. This suggests a single dispersion event of just one species, most likely a relative to South America's Monita del Monte, the only New World Australian This species may have rafted across the widening but still narrow gap between Australia and Antarctica. In Australia, they radiate into a wide variety we see today, island hopping some ways through the Indonesian archipelago. Twenty ten analysis of retrotransponsin insertion sites in the nuclear DNA of a variety of marsupials has confirmed all living marsupials have South American ancestors. The branching sequence of marsupials orders indicated by the study puts Didophomorphia in the most basal position, followed by Pasetudipicolacta and then Microbiotheria and ending with the radiation of Australian marsupials. This indicates that marsupials arose in South America and reached Australia after a split-off. In Australia, terrestrial placental mammals disappeared early in the Cenozoic era for reasons that are not clear allowing marsupials to dominate the Australian ecosystem. Extant native Australian terrestrial placental mammals, such as hopping mice, are relatively recent immigrants arriving via island hopping from Southeast Asia. An early birth removes a developing marsupial from its parent's body much sooner than in a placental mammal, and thus the marsupials have not developed a complex placentia to protect the embryo from its mother's immune system. Though early birth places the tiny newborn marsupials at a greater environmental risk, it significantly reduces the dangers associated with long pregnancies, as there is no need to carry a large fetus to full term in bad seasons. Because newborn marsupials must climb up their mother's nipples, their front limbs are much more developed than the rest of the body at time of birth. It is possible that this requirement has resulted in the limited range of locomotor adaptations in marsupials compared to placentials. Marsupials must develop a grasping forepaw during their early youth, making the transition from this limb into a hoof, wing, or flipper 
as some as placental mammals have done, far more difficult. An infant marsupial is known as a joey. Marsupials have an extremely short gestation period, about four to five weeks, and the joey is born essentially in a fetal state. The blind, furless, miniature newborn, the size of a jelly bean, crawls across its mother's fur to make its way into the pouch, where it latches onto a teat for food. It will not re-emerge for several months, during which time it develops fully. After this period, the joey begins to spend increasing lengths of time out of the pouch, feeding and learning survival skills. However, it returns to the pouch to sleep, and if danger threatens, it will seek refuge in its mother's pouch for safety. Joey stay in the pouch for up to a year in some species, or until the next joey is born. A marsupial joey is unable to regulate its own body temperature, and thus relies upon external heat source. Until the joey is well furred and old enough to leave the pouch, a pouch temperature between 30 to 32 Celsius or 86 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit must be constantly maintained. Marsupials' reproductive systems differ markedly from those of placental mammals. Females have two lateral vaginas, which lead to separate uteri, but both open externally through the same orifice. A third canal, the median vagina, is used for birth. This canal can be transitory or permanent. The males generally have a two-pronged penis, which corresponds to the female's two vaginas. The penis is used only for discharging semen into females. And there is instead a urogenital sac used to store waste before expulsion. Pregnant females develop something similar to a yolk sac in the womb, which delivers nutrients to the embryo. Marsupials give birth at a very early stage of development, about four to five weeks. After birth, newborn marsupials crawl up the bodies of their mothers and attach themselves to a nipple, which is located on the underside of the mother either inside a pouch called a marsupium, or open to the environment. To crawl to the nipple and attach to it, the marsupial must have well-developed forelimbs and facial structures. This is accomplished by accelerating forelimb and facial development in marsupials. Compared to placental mammals, as a result, there is a decelerated development of such structures as the hind limb and the brain. There they remain for a number of weeks 
attached to the nipple. The offspring are eventually able to leave for short periods, returning to it for warmth, protection, and nourishment. Marsupials are characterized by giving birth to relatively undeveloped young. They lack a complex placentia to protect the embryo from its mother's immune system. They have a front pouch containing multiple nipples for protection and sustenance of the young. Some common structural features can be found among marsupials. Ossified patella are absent. Epipubic bones are present. Marsupials, and also monotremes, also lack a gross communication, known as the corpus calcum, between the right and left brain hemispheres. Taxonomically, there are two primary divisions of marsupialia, American marsupials and the Australian marsupials. The order Microbiotheria, which has only one species, the Monita del Monte, is found in South America, but is believed to be more closely related to the Australian marsupials. There are many small arboreal species in each group. The term opossums is properly used to refer to the American species, though you can say the word possum and you will be understood that is the American species. While similar Australian species, the proper name is possum. One particularly interesting marsupial is a marsupial that went extinct in the early 20th century. That marsupial was known as the thalassine, also known as the Tasmanian tiger. The thalassine, or Thalassinus sinocephalus, Greek for dog-headed pouched one, was the largest known carnivorous marsupial of modern times. It was known as the Tasmanian tiger, or also known as the Tasmanian wolf. Native to continental Australia, Tasmania, and New Guinea, it was thought to become extinct 
in the 20th century. It was the last extant member of its family, Thalcinidae, although several related species have been found in the fossil record dating back to the Miocene. The Tasmanian tiger had become extremely rare or extinct on the Australian mainland before Euro European settlement of the continent. But it survived on the island of Tasmania, along with several other endemic species, including the famous Tasmanian devil, which still survives to this day. Intensive hunting, encouraged by bounties, is generally blamed for ext extinction. But other contributory factors may have been disease, introduction of dogs, and human encroachment into its habitat. Despite its official classification as extinct, sightings are still reported, though none have ever been proven. Like the tigers and wolves of Northern Hemisphere, from which it attained two of its common names, the thylacine was an apex predator. As a marsupial, it was not closely related to the placental mammals, but because of its convergent evolution, it displayed the same general form and adaptation. The closest living relative is thought to either be the Tasmanian devil or numbat. The thylacine was only one of two marsupials to have a pouch in both sexes, the other marsupial being the water possum. The male Tasmanian tiger had a pouch that acted like a protective sheath covering the male's external reproductive organs while he ran through thick brush. It has been described as a formidable predator because it's of ability to survive and hunt prey in extremely sparsely populated areas. The modern Tasmanian tiger first appeared about four million years ago. Species of the family Thalassinidae date back to the beginning of the Miocene. Since the early 1990s, at least seven fossil species have been uncovered in northwest Queensland. Dixon's thylacine is the oldest of the seven discovered fossil species dating back to 23 million years ago. This thylacine was much smaller than its more recent relatives. The largest species, the powerful thylacine, Thylacinus potens, which grew to the size of a wolf, was the only species to survive into the late Miocene. The late Pliocene and early Holocene times, the modern thylacine was widespread, 
all throughout Australia and New Guinea. The indigenous people of Australia first made contact with the thylacine. Numerous examples of thylacine engraving and rock art have been found dating back to at least 1000 BC. Petroglyphs, images of the thylacine, can be found at Dampier Rock Art Precinct on the Burra Peninsula in Western Australia. By the time the first explorers arrived, the animal was already extinct in mainland Australia and rare in Tasmania. Europeans may have encountered it as far back as 1642 when Abel Tasman first arrived in Tasmania. Yes, Tasmania is named after Abel Tasman. His shore party reported seeing the footprints of the wild beast having claws like a tiger. However, it was not until 1805 that William Peter Patterson, the Lieutenant Governor of Tasmania, sent a detailed description for publication to the Sydney Gazette. Descriptions of the thalassine vary as evidence is restricted to preserved joey specimens, fossil records, skins, skeletal remains, black and white photographs, and films of the animal in captivity and accounts from the field. The thylacine resembled a large, short-haired dog with a stiff tail which smoothly extended from the body in a way similar to that of a kangaroo. Many European settlers drew direct comparisons with the hyena because of the unusual stance and the general demur. Its yellow-brown coat featured 13 to 21 distinctive dark stripes across the back, rump, and the base of its tail, which earned the animal the nickname tiger. The stripes were more marked in younger specimens, fading as the animal got older. One of the stripes extended down the outside of the rear thigh. Its body hair was dense and soft, up to 15 millimeters in length. In juveniles, the tip of the tail had a crest. Its rounded, erect ears were about eight centimeters long and covered with short fur. Coloration varied from light fawn to a dark brown, and the belly was cream colored. A mature thylacin ranged from 100 to 130 centimeters long, plus a tail of around 50 to 65 centimeters long. 
The largest measured specimen was 290 centimeters from nose to tails. Adults stood about 60 centimeters at the shoulder and weighed 20 to 30 kilograms. There was a slight sexual dimorphism between the males being larger than the females on average. The femaleite thylacine had a pouch with four teats, but unlike many other marsupials, the pouch opened to the rear of its body. Males had a scrotal pouch, unique among the Australian marsupials, into which they could withdraw their scrotal sac. The thylacine was able to open its jaws to an unusual extent, up to 120 degrees. The jaws were muscular, but weak, and the tiger had 46 teeth. Thylacine footprints could be distinguished from others, native or introduced animals. Unlike foxes, cats, dogs, wombats, or Tasmanian devils, thylacines had a very large rear pad and four obvious front pads arranged almost in a straight line. The hind feet were similar to the forefeet, but had four digits rather than five, and their claws were non-retractable. The early scientific studies suggested it possessed an acute sense of smell, which enabled it to track prey. But analysis of its brain structure revealed that its olfactory bulbs were not well developed it is likely to have relied on sight and sound when hunting instead. Some observers describe it having a strong and distinctive smell. Others describe a faint, clean animal order, and some said there was no order at all. It is possible that the Tasmanian tiger like its relative, the Tasmanian devil, gave off an order when agitated. The thylacine was noted as having a stiff and somewhat awkward gait, making it unable to run at high speed. It could also perform a bipedal hop in a fashion similar to a kangaroo demonstrated at various times by captive specimens. There is speculation that this was used as an accelerated form of motion when the animal became alarmed. The animal was also able to balance on its hind legs and stand upright for brief periods. Observers of the animal in the wild and in captivity noted that it would growl and hiss when agitated, often accompanied by a threat yawn. During hunting, it would emit a series of rapidly repeating guttural cough-like barks, described as yip-yap, k-yip, or hop-hop-hop, probably for communication between the family pack members. It also had a long, whining cry 
probably for identification at distance, and a low snuffling noise used for communication between family members. Little is known about the behavior or habitat of the thylacine. A few observations were made of the animal in captivity, but only limited anecdotal evidence exists of the animal's behavior in the wild. Most observations were made during the day, whereas the thylacine was naturally nocturnal. Those observations, made in the 20th century, may have been atypical as they were a species already under the stresses that would soon lead to its extinction. Some behavioral characteristics having been extrapolated from the behavior of its close relative, the Tasmanian devil. The thylacine probably preferred the dry eucalyptus forests, wetlands, and grasslands in continental Australia. Indigenous Australian rock paintings indicate that the thylacine lived throughout mainland Australia and New Guinea. Proof of the animal's existence in mainland Australia came from a desiccated car carcass that was discovered in a cave in the Nullarbor Plain in Western Australia in 1990. Carbon dating revealed it to be around 3,300 years old. In Tasmania, it preferred the woodlands of the Midlands and coastal heath which eventually became the primary focus of British settlers seeking grazing land for their livestock. The stripe pattern may have provided camouflage in woodland conditions, may it, but it may have also served for identification purposes. The animal had a typical home range of about 40 to 80 square kilometers. It appears to have kept its, to its home range without being territorial. Groups too large to be a family unit were sometimes observed together. The thylacine was a nocturnal and crepuscular hunter, spending the daylight hours in small caves or hollow trees trunks in the nest of twigs, bark, or fern fronds. It tended to retreat to the hills and forests for shelter during the day and hunted in the open heath at night. Early observers noted that the animal was typically shy and secretive with awarenesses of presence of humans and generally avoiding contact, though it occasionally showed inquisitive traits. At the time, much stigma existed in regards to its fierce nature. However, this is less likely to be due to its perceived threat to ag agriculture. There is evidence for at least some year-round breeding. Cull records earlier than 20th century and the late 19th century show joeys discovered in the pouch at all times of the year.
although the peak breeding seasons was in winter and spring. They would produce up to four cubs per litter, typically two or three. Carrying the young in a pouch for up to three months and protecting them until they were at least half adult size. Early pouch young were hairless and blind, but they had their eyes open and were fully furred by the time they left the pouch. After leaving the pouch, and until they developed enough to assist, the juveniles would remain in the lair while their mother hunted. Thalassines only once bred successfully in captivity in the Melbourne Zoo in 1899. Their life expectancy in the wild is estimated to have been five to seven years, although captive specimens survived up to nine years. The Tasmanian tiger was exclusively carnivorous. Its stomach was muscular with the ability to distend to allow the animal to eat large amounts of food at one time, probably an adaptation to compensate for long periods when hunting was unsuccessful and food was scarce. Analysis of the skeletal frame and observations of it in captivity suggests that it was preferred to single out a target animal and pursue that animal until it was exhausted. Some studies conclude that the animal may have hunted in small family groups with the main group herding prey in the general direction of the individuals waiting in ambush. Trappers reported it as an ambush predator. Little is known of the thalassine's diet and feeding behavior. Prey is believed to have been kangaroos, wallabies, wombats, birds, and small animals such as potoroos and possums. One prey animal may have been the once common Tasmanian emu. The Tasmanian emu was a large, flightless bird which shared the habitat of the Tasmanian tiger and was hunted to extinction around the year 1850 possibly co coinciding with the decline in thalassine numbers. Both dingoes and foxes have been noted to hunt the emu on the mainland. European settlers believed the thalassine to prey upon farmers' sheep and poultry. Throughout the 20th century, the thalassine was often, often characterized as primarily a blood drinker, but little reference is now made to this trait. The story's popularity seems to have originated from a single second-hand account. In captivity, thalassines were fed a wide variety of foods, 
including dead rabbits and wallabies, as well as beef, mutton, horse, and occasionally poultry. A 2011 study by the University of New South Wales using advanced computer modeling indicated that the thalassine had surprisingly feeble jaws. Animals usually take in prey close to their own body size, but an adult thylacine of around 30 kilograms was found to be incapable of handling prey much larger than five kilograms. Researchers believe the thalassines only ate small animals, such as bandicoots and possums, putting them in direct competition with the Tasmanian devil and tiger quoll. Such specialization probably made the thylacine susceptible to small disturbances to the ecosystem. The thylacine is likely to have become near extinct in mainland Australia around 2,000 years ago and possibly earlier in New Guinea. The absolute extinction is attributed to competition from indigenous humans and invasive dingoes. However, doubts exist over the impact of the dingo since the two species would not have been in direct competition with one another as dingoes hunt primarily during the day, where it is thought that the thylacine hunted mostly at night. In addition, the thylacine had a more powerful build, which would have given it an advantage in one-on-one -on -one encounters. Recent morphological examinations of dingo and thylacine skulls show that although the dingo had a weaker bite, its skull could resist greater stresses allowing it to pull down larger prey than the thylacine could. The thylacine was also much less versatile in diet than the omnivorous dingo. Their environments clearly overlapped. Thylacine subfossil remains have been discovered in proximity to those of dingoes. The adaptation of dingoes as a hunting companion by the indigenous peoples would have put the thylacine under even greater pressure. Rock paintings from the Kakadu National Park clearly show that thalassines were hunted by early humans. Although the thalassine had been close to extinction on mainland Australia by the time of European settlement and went extinct there sometime in the 19th century, it survived into the 1930s on the island state of Tasmania. At the time of the first settlement, the heaviest distributions were in the northeast, northwest, and North Midland regions of the state. They were rarely sighted during this time, but slowly began to be credited with numerous attacks on sheep. This led to the establishment 
of bounty schemes in an attempt to control their numbers. The Van Diamonds Land Company introduced bounties on the thylacine from as early as the 1830s and between 1888 and 1909 the Tasmanian government paid one pound per head for dead adult thylacines and ten shillings for each pup. In all they paid out 2,184 bounties but it's thought that many more thylacines were killed than that were claimed for. Its extinction is popularly attributed to those relentless efforts by farmers and bounty hunters. However, it is likely that multiple factors led to its decline and eventual extinction, including competition with wild dogs introduced by European settlers, erosion of its habitat, the concurrent extinction of prey species, and a distemper-like disease that also affected many captive specimens at the time. Whatever the reason, the animal had become extremely rare in the wild by the late 1920s. Despite the fact that the thylacine was believed by many to be responsible for attacks on sheep, in 1928 the Tasmanian Advisory Committee for Native Fauna had recommended a reserve to protect any remaining thylacines with potential sites of suitable habitat, including the Arthur Pyman area of western Tasmania. The thylacine held the status of endangered species until the late 1980s. International standards at the time stated that an animal could not be declared extinct until 50 years had passed without a confirmed record sighting. Since no definitive proof of the thylacine's existence in the wild had been attained for more than 50 years, it met that official criterion and was declared extinct by the International Union for Conservation of Nature in 1982 and by the Tasmanian government in 1986. The Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, otherwise known as CITES, is more cautious, listing it as possibly extinct. last known thylacine to be killed in the wild was killed in 1930 by Wilf Batty, a farmer from Malbana in the northeast state. The animal, believed to have been a male, had been seen around Batty's house for several weeks. It was thought that that animal had killed one of his sheep. And that was the last thylacine, or Tasmanian tiger, ever to be seen in the wild.
your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet? Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.